Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. All right, guys, welcome to a very special episode of Somewhere in the Skies, a voice you haven't heard in quite some time. So without further ado, you know what time it is. It is UFO Happy Hour, and with me today is the one, the only, Rob Christofferson of the Our Strange Skies podcast, which is back. Welcome, Rob. Thanks, man. Holy God. It's <laughs> so weird doing these again. It's like, you know, you, you talk to people, you're talking about UFOs, and you're like, you swore you were never going to talk about them again. And then they somehow, like, shoot down that tractor beam into my brain cavity and i'm back here talking <laughs> about them again we got you back no you're so right man this is a field of study that um pushes you away and and draws you back in it's one of the most toxic relationships you'll ever have i can guarantee oh you that much but um, god is it man my <laughs> god it, it's just you come across some stuff that you don't want to you know even acknowledge exists within this community and then uh yeah it somehow manages to just be like but why haven't we solved this damn thing yet come on right it is it's frustrating and um you know i think the last time we spoke was when you came on to do our our unsolved mysteries special which is still one of the most downloaded uh two-parter things i've done in a long time so i think that was right around when you took your break. So I'd love, you know, before we start here with what we're going to be talking about tonight, and that's going to be New York UFOs, which I'm so happy about. What what made you come back with Our Strange Skies? And maybe tell us a little about your return, your your first episode back, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, it, it just seemed like I kept getting messages after I shut down, and I, I'd been shut down for four or five, six months, somewhere around there. And I just kept getting these messages and people just kept, you know, commenting and be like, you know, we miss you and, and we hope you're doing good and, and, and all this stuff. And uh, with UFOs, you just kind of catch the bug. You ride a wave, whether it's uh, on a certain case, whether it's on a certain theory, whether it's uh, stimulated by a book, you are captured by this subject and and if you're not it's just not meant for you but driven by that by um i, I get nostalgic for ufos for some reason mm -hmm. and i and i don't really know what that is maybe it's like some romanticized thing that i have in my head that uh some intelligence in in this universe in this wherever the hell they come from they have this knack for wanting to communicate with people 
they do it incredibly terribly or incredibly vague ways, <laughs> <laughs> and they leave us with mystery. So, armed with that, um, I came back. I was right before uh, New Year's Eve, and uh, uh, New Year's is kind of uh, an anniversary for us because that's when we dropped uh, the first episode in 2017. And um, I figured, you know, if you're going to put them up, why not commemorate it with an anniversary? So, put them back up, and, and then I got the itch to do new episodes and uh we just dropped one a few weeks ago i recorded it with uh robin mark from the kryptonaut podcast and uh it, it was on the mrv elf encounter of 1970 this really strange uh ufo and humanoid encounter that these two skiers had in finland in 1970 and just the strangeness that uh, of the entire experience and the strangeness that one of the uh, original uh, witnesses reported after it and it is just it's out there and like <laughs> the uh, the episode it'll have you laughing quite a bit you're gonna get some of the uh, the narrative elements that I have in in the solo episodes that I do and then you're gonna you're gonna laugh and um there's a lot of statements I didn't have, think I'd be saying on an episode like that. But, you know, that happens from time to time. Yeah, yes, it does. Absolutely, man. What a, a hell of a way to come back to with such a weird, weird, strange case. So, um, again, I, I think I speak for a lot of my listeners and uh, many people out there. We're so happy to have you back. It's a interesting time for UFOs heading into this new year with everything going on with the UAP task force and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this bill or this, this request within this bill about making the findings public. And maybe I'll get your thoughts on that a little bit later. But, um, mm -hmm. like I said, we're here today to talk about New York UFOs. Both you and I live in New York state. Um, I grew up pretty close to where you are actually. And, um, mm -hmm. we have the, the go-tos in New York, you know, Whitley Strieber, we've got the, uh, Linda Napolitano Brooklyn bridge incident, which a lot of people know about, um, the Hudson Valley wave, obviously. But I remember you and I kind of sitting down and racking our brains being like, what else can we deliver to the world of UFOs here in New York state? And it's hard, man. It's hard to find anything that's worth really talking about and you know that's not just some lights in the sky and lo and behold i knew you would do it you brought three <laughs> unique cases to the table i've got a couple as well so we're gonna run through those tonight um but yeah how was it digging up new york stories new york stories are tough and and there are these blog posts that have like emerged in the last few years and it always starts with something like such and such state uh, accounts for so many UFO sightings or this state uh, has had so many more UFO sightings this year and, and things like that. And like reported cases and cases that are just like talked about in New York are very little, very infrequent. A lot of the the cases that I'm you know, bringing to the table are all old. They're from the 50s and the 60s, but uh, they were significant uh, during their time, especially uh, in the 50s when Donald Kehoe was kind of the guy really putting UFOs in the mainstream and like trying to combat UFO secrecy. And like uh, you can see a lot of a lot of activists these days, you can see the the Donald Kehoe in them, which I can appreciate to a certain extent. Uh, but, man, New York just doesn't – there aren't enough cases that uh, are known, and, and people need to know these cases, you know? Yeah, and why do you think that is? I mean, for me, I – I go to the whole idea of like, yeah, there's a ton of light pollution, at least here in New York City. So you mm -hmm. don't hear a lot of cases out of New York City specifically, um, unless it's a misidentification at our our airports. I mean, you throw up one of those apps where you can see every flight above you here, dude, and it's insane. It's like raining airplanes left yeah. and right. But um, And like you said, a lot of these cases seems to be from 
from decades ago. The two I'm bringing forth are in the uh, 60s and 80s as well. But um, is it that? Is it the fact that there's not a lot of researchers here on the East Coast even? You know, a lot of the people are always out West or, um, you know, down South or in the, the Midwest or Philadelphia. But you don't hear a lot of people coming out of New York. No, you don't. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of that is just... I think the area has to do with it. And like New York is just one of the most light polluted states there is. Uh, I am fortunate and live in one of the, you know, least light polluted areas. We, the Adirondack Park is one of the best places to, you know, look up at the stars because they're really, you're, you're pretty well isolated. You don't have a lot of big cities around here. And if you do, they're generally less than 100,000 people that live there. So I figure there should be more UFO sightings coming from the Adirondacks. But uh, unfortunately, there aren't, Yeah, which is unfortunate. But, you know, uh, I definitely just think that uh, the, the research is not being done. I don't think that uh, the investigations are really happening here, which, you know, I can kind of understand. And uh, to be fair, completely honest i don't think like some agencies are doing their 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 best to do it and that's because it's a they're volunteer agencies you know they they do mm -hmm. what they can uh with their spare time but um the dedicated investigators and, and we've talked about this before they're not there anymore and it's i think it largely has to do with the fact that those investigators kind of made a living reporting on these things and, and submitting these stories to UFO journals and other you know, strange um, magazines and stuff of the time. But uh, we don't ha really have that anymore. So, Yeah, the, the days of um, – you're right, all these like uh, dime and nickel UFO magazines that came out with the weirdest stories – we don't have them anymore. I mean, God, this is awesome. This is something we could bring up. The um, the Weekly World News is coming back. Yes, it isn't is. that awesome? They did a Kickstarter and they like they reached their goal in I think like twenty four hours. So we're gonna get more Bat Boy. We're gonna get more. Um, you know, I'm pregnant with Bill Clinton's alien human hybrid baby. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait, man. So I think you're right. I think those days of like the John Keels going all over the country and in meeting and investigating and writing for pulp magazines or or Playboy or what have you, um, they're kind of over. We live in a whole new digital world where um that's just not what's happening. But let's let's stay on the positive side. Let's highlight these awesome stories that we did find about New York UFOs. Do you want to go first? Whichever one you want to start with, man. The Walesville, New York UFO incident. One of the most infamous cases, uh, New York cases, that uh, was a highlight for Donald Kehoe and in the Blue Book Files. It happened on July 1st, 1954, uh, between the hours of 6 and 10 p.m., the calls started coming into Rome, New York's military depot. And Rome, New York is uh, it's in central New York. It's it's not too far from where you grew up. So mm -hmm. um, uh, and it was alleged that over a thousand calls were made that night to the Utica Press as well. And uh, people were reporting a strange object. They compared it to like a silvery, like illuminated golf ball. And it was flying over central New York for about four hours. And, you know, aside from the numerous eyewitnesses that saw this on the ground, uh, back in the day, there was an airline company called Mohawk Airlines. And, you know, right, they, I remember. Yeah, they, you know, flew uh, mostly within the state. But uh, there was one pilot that noted at 20,000 feet, he saw just an extremely bright object that was uh, flying not far from his plane. But what's interesting and what was reported in the Blue Book files is that the officer in charge at uh, Griffiths Air Force Base, which uh, back in the day is one of, was one of the most active bases in New York State, um, 
they said that it in their files it was a balloon, but the officer in charge said that if the object returned the next day, that he would send out a plane to investigate it. So on July 2nd, the next day at about 11 in the morning, uh, the Air Force scrambles an F-94C Starfire jet. Uh, it's piloted by Lieutenant William E. Atkins and Lieutenant Henry F. Cowden. And soon after takeoff, and it, it wasn't exactly clear as to why they were dispatched in the first place, they were sent to intercept um, a, a target at about 10,000 feet. And when they arrived at the location, what they claimed is that they saw a Douglas C-47 military transport plane. And then they were sent, allegedly sent back. At least that's what the files initially said. But what the pilot claimed was that they were sent to go look at another target. And they were claiming that this target was a UFO. They didn't know exactly what it was. But as they went to investigate this second target, their cockpit immediately started to get hotter. Hmm. And there was a a sensor that went off claiming that there was a fire in the cabin. So uh, the two men, Atkins and Cowden, ended up abandoning their plane and it crashed into the town of Walesville and it killed four people in the process. Uh, A man named, uh, yeah, a man named Stanley Phillips, his wife Florence and their son Gary, they were actually just sitting in their car uh, when they, uh, when the plane came down and there was a woman, uh, Miss Doris Monroe, who was inside her home and was killed at the time. So, yeah, it's it's Man. The, the story gets legs the next day when Atkins starts making claims that um, what was being reported uh, was not actually what had happened. And he maintains that they noticed a silvery colored object in the air. It's unclear that the. the there's like so much muddying in this account because they're saying, Oh, well they went in and they investigated this C 47 and then they were just sent back while he's saying that, Oh, we were sent to investigate a UFO. Okay. So you, you've got that discrepancy there, but um, when they investigated the plane, they found that um, the, the military claimed that it was caused by a, a faulty fire detector circuit. But when they examined the plane, it didn't seem to be malfunctioning at all. There was no evidence of smoke or oil in the cockpit anywhere. Um, And then they started to blame the pilot at that point and saying that he didn't recognize a normal change of temperature in the cockpit, which just it screams bullshit to me because like a fire sensor is not going to go off for just like a sudden change like that. That just seems really dumb. But the the military just kept muddying up the waters here, and they were just saying, "Oh, well, when the plane turned around, you know, that's when this manuf- uh, this malfunction just started to happen." Uh, there's just so much confusion around this case, and um, the Air Force just kind of just kept changing its mind mm-hmm. as to what they wanted to label it as. But um, to me, you don't scramble a jet fighter to investigate a military transport plane. Right. Like that just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me, but it just seemed like the military did their best to downplay whatever the heck this was. And then, uh, in the process, four people were killed. It's it's just a, it's a crazy, crazy case. And it was one that, you know, Donald Kehoe cited as like a, a major cover up in the blue book files and and for the Air Force at large. Yeah, and, you know, Kehoe was all about the, you know, the cover-up. And, um, I mean, again, when four people die from a, you know, a possibly malfunctioning plane from a UFO, uh, that that screams, yeah, there's going to be a cover-up. I, mm-hmm. I hope those families were at least, you know, compensated or something 
for all of this. But um, can you think of any cases, Rob? I'm trying to think off the top of my head where like something like this happened. There was a we hear about instrumentation failing, you know, all the time with UFO cases and pilots, but like literally heating up the cockpit and like trying to bake these guys from within. It's crazy. Yeah, it's not something often reported. There are instances, you know, where UFOs allegedly, uh, you know, cause certain effects like the coin helicopter case, uh, the UFO, at least according to, you know, coin and the other members of the crew, allegedly, you know, that thing, that UFO moved their plane up like like 2000 feet or something like that. It was, Mm -hmm. it was kind of crazy. Um, There are those strange instances where it just seems like UFOs mess with the instrumentation in in the cockpit of some planes, but Mm -hmm. nothing like this. (laughs) Right. The the one that's coming to mind for me is the Carlos de los Santos case, where the the UFO literally like crashed into his plane and then was kind of like, oh shit, we got to help him. (laughs) So they like helped guide him to safety after that. I I love hearing when they, you know when the aliens or the intelligence beyond the UFO messes up and then has to self-correct and help after that. It's always great to hear things like that. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes it's a Travis Walton kind of case where stupidly got out of a truck and you got shot with a beam of light. And allegedly those aliens are just trying to fix you and you got confrontational, buddy. You got a little confrontational. (laughs) That's the redneck coming out. That's his fault, you know. That is completely his fault. He would say the same damn thing. Yeah, wasn't he a boxer, too, from what I remember? He was a scrapper, yeah. He was definitely a scrapper back in the day. Travis Walton, (laughs) uh, before the UFO experience, uh, definitely a little more daring than I think he was after it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, For sure, man. Well, hey, that's that's a tragedy with those four people dying. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me try to lighten things up maybe a little (laughs) bit over here. I've got an interesting one. The Cherry Creek, New York UFO landing. This happened back in August of uh, 1965. It was investigated by NICAP, uh, state police, and the local Air Force Base. Um, So... This occurred uh, near the William Butcher Dairy Farm near Cherry Creek, New York, and it involved three members of the Butcher family and a fourth witness. And um, I'm just going to read a little from the report here. Um, Mm -hmm. So at 8.20 p.m. on August 19th, Harold Butcher, 16, was operating a milking machine in a dairy barn housing 17 cows. There was a portable radio on the wall that was turned to a newscast, and... um, All of a sudden, this static-like interference drowned everything out, and um, the tractor, which ran the milking machine, abruptly stopped. And a moment later, a Holstein bull secured outside began to bellow and pull at a steel bar to which it was chained to. So there's a lot of shit going on uh, for this young butcher boy. And um, he runs to a window... And he sees a large elliptical object near the ground, a fourth of a mile away, and there is a reddish vapor that could be seen underneath this thing. And he heard a steady beep, beep, beep sort of sound, and uh, the UFO, as we'll coin it, uh, was on the ground only for a few seconds, then it shot straight up and it disappeared into the clouds. Um, So when the other witnesses came out after Harold Butcher um told them was yelling and screaming they noticed a strange odor and also a greenish glow in the clouds where the ufo had vanished so meantime it was found that the bull had bent the steel bar in an effort to get loose so half an hour later when uh the craft reappeared actually it starts circling the dairy farm so mrs butcher she calls the state police and two troopers come they investigate they notify the local air force so then the next day after the um the ufo that was circling like left again the next day captain james dorsey operations officer um he arrived 
with technicians and uh, they examined the ground and they found an odd purplish liquid substance that was discovered at several places. Um, Small unexplained marks, two inches wide, two inches apart, were also found and along with patches of singed grass and foliage. So, after the Air Force team left, NICAP members showed up and they obtained samples of this substance and um, they were studied at a local chemical place and um, using spectrographic analysis, it showed that the main elements of the liquid to be aluminum, iron, and silicon. Uh, Some phosphorus was found in the weed samples, which the analysts said might cause a phosphate smell explaining the odor. Okay, so (laughs) on the night following the Cherry Creek incident, State Trooper Richard Ward, a few miles from this area, he watched an object with eight circular lights in line flying twice as fast as a jet. It emitted a faint, unfamiliar purring sound. Um, And then John Maxwell of the NICAP New York subcommittee, he carefully checked the Cherry Creek site and questioned the witnesses, and on the basis of present evidence, they believed this entire thing to be completely genuine. It wasn't a hoax. They weren't making it up. They didn't misidentify something. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is pretty crazy, man. The animal reactions during this whole thing um, were really interesting. Um, the, the people on the farm said they'd never seen any of the animals act like this before. Um, oh, this, this too. After the object that circled the dairy farm, after it disappeared out of sight, um, it actually left a sonic boom. So whatever oh, it was, that God. thing was like, what, mock? <laughs> yeah. Three, five, I don't know. Um, pretty, pretty crazy. And then also physiological effects. The kid who first saw it, Harold, um, him and his younger sister, after this whole event, they had uh, really upset stomachs. And the cows, now this is the most important part, the cows were giving less than normal amounts of milk after being oh. milked. So, oh, man. I don't know, man. What What is going on here? You know, it's making people sick. It's got sonic booms. It's a light emanating out of it. Um, and the cows ain't milking like they used to. So, yeah, that is the Cherry Creek landing of uh, 1965. That's, uh, damn. Uh, who is uh, the exopolitical uh, lawyer that we can get, you know, in touch <laughs> to get some compensation for these cows that aren't putting out as much milk as they used to be? That's a problem. That's, That's a, a problem. problem. Right there. I think we got to phone uh, either Stephen Bassett or Danny Sheehan, I think, is one of the lawyers, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get them on the case. Um, well, I hope the dairy farm is doing okay if it's still around. Um, God, if they're still around now, that, that'd that be amazing. Um, right. But yeah, pretty interesting case, a UFO landing in New York that I'd never heard of before. So Yeah, th- that's new to me, man. I had never heard of that one either and like – that's just there's there's just like a lot of you know uh it's a it's a very fascinating ce2 case you got some physical evidence you got some animals just going nuts uh man that's uh that's the good stuff right there that's the good stuff yeah that ain't no new york city that is the farmlands of central and or upstate new york for sure um, i mean where are the where are the aliens gonna land in new york city like the, the best that they could do is um, North Bergen, New Jersey in 1975. George Obarski saw that thing. He wasn't thrilled, you know? He oh, my wasn't. God. Yep. Oh, yeah, man. I remember – I think you brought that up in a, yeah. a uh, UFO happy hour. That's a yeah. great case. I highly suggest people go check that one out as well. Obarski, what a name. I love right? it. I love it. Was that the one on the playground? It was in it, it was in this like a large park that okay. um, it's named after a boxer. I can't remember his name, but uh, yeah, it was like uh, in this uh, kind of like tree shaded section. But like uh, what became so fascinating about it is like not only did George Obarski see these 10 aliens get out of this uh, UFO and start collecting soil samples uh there were eyewitnesses that were able to corroborate it from the apartment building across the street um, called the Stonehenge, 
and uh, it, well, I I am it's kind of one of my like bucket list items to stay for a night in that apartment building because it looks really nice. Yeah. It's got really great views. And, uh, you know, why wouldn't you want to stay in an apartment building that had a notorious UFO incident happen across the street? I mean, (laughs) exactly. I guess, Hey, it's never, it's never too late to move, man. The prices here in New York are insane. So maybe I'll have to make (laughs) it over there myself. But, um, I guess let's move on to this next one you got for us. This is a UFO pursuit case, right? The Raymond Ryan UFO pursuit. Two years after my first one, on April 8th, 1956, at 10.15 p.m., American Airlines Flight 775 departed Albany heading for Buffalo. Um, when the plane reached Schenectady, uh, Captain Raymond E. Ryan and First Officer William Neff spotted this white light. It was a couple of miles away from their position, but they decided to change course to avoid, you know, an, uh, an in-air collision. And uh, when they did, this light immediately turned 90 degrees and headed straight for their airliner at speeds that they guessed was about 900 miles an hour. It was, uh, it was booking it. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here. And whether I'm researching, working on the podcast, or sky watching from my roof late at night, I need something to keep me awake, alert, and ready to tackle the mysteries in our skies. That's why I'm so excited to announce the launch of the official Somewhere in the Skies coffee. That's right, we've got our own coffee roast. Black Triangle Coffee is a veteran-owned small-batch coffee roaster out of Santan Valley, Arizona. As a coffee fiend and former specialty coffee barista, I've been working very closely with owner and head roaster, Andrew Lowe, to create the perfect blend to reflect somewhere in the skies. Our beans are sourced from local farms off the shores of Lake Kivu. This Rwandan coffee bean is full-bodied with tastes of red apple, hibiscus, dried fig, sweet orange, and cocoa. It's bold, it's dark, and it is sure to keep you running on all cylinders. While you listen to the podcast, hunt down UFOs, or if you're on the run from the men in black. So help support Black Triangle Coffee by ordering the Somewhere in the Skies roast today. Listeners of Somewhere in the Skies get an exclusive discount right now by using the promo code SITSPOD at checkout. That's S-I-T-S-POD. To order, head on over to blacktrianglecoffee.com. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching or drinking somewhere in the skies. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Um, Ryan radioed into Griffiths Air Force Base to report this object, which they confirmed to be tracking on radar at the time. Uh, and in response, they scrambled two jets. Um, but what's interesting here is that Griffiths Air Force Base said, change course, pursue this thing. And um, Ryan was... Uh, Ryan was there for it, so he immediately changed course, mm-hmm. and he kept up with it as best as he could. Uh, he he pursued it up until Lake Ontario, um, at which point he actually turned back around and headed for Syracuse. Uh, but when he ultimately landed in uh, Buffalo, uh, Ryan and Neff reported their story to the Buffalo Evening News, who ran it in the papers on April 10th. So Donald Kehoe pursued this story, and when he got his hands on the official Civil Aviation Authority report, it told a much different story. It stated that Ryan did see a mysterious light, but that he hadn't actually changed course and pursued the object. Um, Ryan himself recanted his story not long after, but on April 16, 1956, he appeared on a Toronto talk show called Meet the Millers, in which he attested to Griffiths' orders uh, to pursue, saying, quote, Griffiths asked us our next point of landing and to identify the aircraft. I told them Syracuse and identified the flight number. They told us, abandon that next landing temporarily. Maintain your course and altitude. We're sending two jets to intercept the object. Despite this admission... Flight logs appeared to contradict Ryan's words, and Kehoe cited this case as a major Air Force cover-up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think, you know, Ryan probably backed down because, you know, the Civil Aviation Authority is going to rule on this and say, oh, you're crazy. You can't can't fly anymore and, and stuff like that. But this is another one of those big cases for NICAP back in the day in which to try and stimulate the uh, congressman to hold an, uh, an official hearing about this, this was one of the cases that they presented and claimed that it was a giant cover-up. And, you know, very well could have been. I I, I don't doubt him. I, it's just there's always in these cases from Blue Book history when something really strange happens – it's always muddied up in the files. Like mm-hmm. the cover up is not denial. It's let's just confuse the hell out of you. Right. That's yeah. the easiest way to do it. Exactly. Yeah. It, it seems to be a way to muddy the waters and get everyone on different pages. And then, yeah, I mean, you look at something like, uh, let's take this, this story that came out maybe a month ago where, uh, John Greenwald over at the Black Vault, you know, there was all these headlines that the CIA had dumped all their files on UFOs finally to the public, when in reality, no, these had all been accessible for a really long time. But mm-hmm. what they did is, the way that John originally got him, they sent the dude a CD-ROM, mm-hmm. and they made it as hard as possible to either read these files or... uh you know, just there was no way to really search through them, like in 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 any logical way. So they would make it as hard as possible for people like John or UFO researchers to make sense of any of these things. Right. So let's give John, you know, maybe a little UFO case here, and then let's give him this thing we found a memo about missing coke bottles within one of the uh, departments at the cia and if those (laughs) coke bottles aren't returned we're gonna get rid of the coke vending machine so like it's crazy man like they they just they gave him all of this stuff in hopes that he would kind of just give up on it but what does he do he literally scans every single file he got puts it into a searchable pdf format or of some kind and now you can say like I want to go to this year of the CIA files. Here's everything. I want to look for cylindrical objects. Here's everything. So, yeah, man, I think you're right. I think um, they will do anything they can to make the stories conflict, for sure. And it seems in this case, with a lot of these New York cases, uh, it all ties back to Griffith's Air Force Base, Mm -hmm. right? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, Yeah, which now is like uh, it's a public airfield. Mm -hmm. Um, It was – 
I think it was shut down back in the mid nineties or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, Griffith seemed to be like the central hub that was tracking, you know, all air traffic within New York at the time. And it was kind of in like the central location to do it. Cause it like Rome, New York is basically, you know, smack dab right in the middle of New York, which is, you know, as States go, it's very strangely shaped, but, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's, uh, they probably did a fair amount of, uh, tracking of ufos back in the day and uh, downplaying reports because uh there there are a number of cases from new york uh in the blue book files that were marked as um uh unidentified so y- you know there's probably more gems in there uh, if you can track down uh all the information mm-hmm. yeah and if i'm not mistaken i think um you know a lot of people know about gary mckinnon the guy who mm-hmm. hacked for ufo info um, but the predecessor before before him, another guy, I think in Wales, uh, Matthew Bevan, when mm-hmm. he was hacking into stuff trying to find UFO info, like a decade before, before uh, McKinnon, I think Griffiths Air Force Base is one of the places that he hacked into and found stuff. Mm-hmm. So something's going on, man. Something is definitely going on. Um, yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Well. That that was that was a good one, man. I'm glad you were able to dig that one up. Um, here's my next one, and this is actually comes out of the book Night Siege uh, by mm-hmm. uh, Philip Imbrogno, Bob Pratt, and of course famed J. Allen Hynek yep. uh, about the famous, like we mentioned, Hudson Valley UFO wave. But this happened um, kind of right before, or maybe in the middle of it. The Indian Point nuclear reactor incident. So there's this place called Indian Point uh, Reactor. It's a nuclear site in um, in New York. And uh, this brings us back to 1984 on July 24th, Indian Point Energy. And uh, it's a three-unit nuclear power plant station. There we go. Uh, located in Buchanan, New York, right off the Hudson River. And so on this night, a security guard, he gets on the radio and he alerts the other personnel that he had sighted something that looked like an, quote, ice cream cone over Mm -hmm. Reactor 3 at the site, which, mind you, was the only active reactor at the time. So, of course, this is where a UFO is going to be sighted, over the one active reactor. (laughs) Um, So, of course, they're freaking out. And uh, he starts getting all the other security um, on the line and saying, has anyone seen this? Anyone seen this? And another guy says that uh, he did see it, but it looked boomerang-shaped to him. And Mm. um, this thing, it's just chilling, like uh, 300 feet above this reactor. And they said it was massive, dude, like three football fields in length. And it was extremely bright, very blinding. And um, so eventually the thing disappears out of sight. And the reactor, it didn't seem to be adversely affected by whatever this thing was or anything. But um, clearly – there was a breach of security. So uh, the the main investigator on this, controversial UFO researcher, Philip Imbrogno, mm-hmm. um, who would go on to investigate Hudson Valley and everything, he, uh, he discovered that uh, the reactor services um, local and state facilities, including New York City subway systems, trains, and several military installations around Dutchess County, New York. So um, – the the main company overseeing all of this in is the New York Power Authority, and supposedly uh, they dissuaded, as Imbrogno puts it, dissuaded him to not publicize this incident. So he uh, he kind of kept quiet about it, and um, but then more witnesses started coming forward from Indian Point and surrounding areas and talking to him, and um, one of the security guys. He told he told Imbrogno, quote, as the object approached the east gate of the reactor complex, the sensors that detect movement shut down and the entire alarm system failed. 
At this time, I radioed for assistance, and several other officers left their posts and joined me at the east end of the plant to watch the object approach. Inside the security console, the computer that controls all security and communications shut down. The cameras were still, however, functioning, and we know for sure that the object was videotaped. Um, but then he went on to tell Imbrogno that the next day, the commander called in all the guards involved and informed them that, quote, nothing happened. Mm. There were, they were all ordered to forget the entire incident, um, and all radio communications that night were taped, but according to the plant supervisor, the tapes no longer exist, which I mm. find very hard to believe, so... Yep. Yeah, man, this is pretty crazy. We got a UFO and nuke case in New York State. This is why, currently, Indian Point Energy Center has a 3.4 rating on Google right now. It's because <laughs> of crap like this. This could be a five-star facility, but no, you got to cover up your dang UFO sightings right over the damn thing, and this is what you get. Uh, I, uh, fun fact here, they are open 24 hours. I would certainly hope so. Oh, that that's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. Especially yeah. if they're powering the, uh, New York City subway system. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you gotta, they gotta be going guys. You gotta be pulling those all nighters. That's just <laughs> the way that, that it has to be. But it's always interesting when you hear cases of UFOs just, hanging out over nuclear sites, over military sites. There was one interesting case that I stumbled upon uh, about a month ago from um, Italy uh, back in July of 77. Uh, over this NATO base uh, in northern Italy, there was this really large uh, flying saucer that just hovered over this igloo that was storing uh, jet fighters. And it was there for like maybe an hour. It was corroborated by uh, other eyewitnesses off the base. And uh, it's stories like that that are that are just always fascinating. It's just like, hey, we're going to hang out here. You know, yeah. we're uh, we're at O'Hare Airport. We're just going to hang up above the terminal here for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, we'll we'll punch, you know, holes through the clouds, whatever. Yeah, man. Again, it's this trickster element to all of this. Like, yeah, why we while we can be like, yeah, red alert, UFOs, nukes, and everything, I still think they're messing with us. You know, like, if they really wanted to cause destruction or really send a message, they would render these things useless forever. Or they would just blow them all up, you know? Yeah. So, why? Why are they just hovering over it? Um, is it just to scare the shit out of us or, or <laughs> make us think, wow, something could have happened. Maybe we yep. should rethink this. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, what I want to know now is are aliens in on the online review game and are they the ones that drove down their rating for the Indian Point Energy Center? Like, <laughs> I want to know. Are they giving one star reviews right now? Because if they are, we've got a we've got an even bigger problem here uh, <laughs> that we need to tackle, and I don't know how we're gonna do it. Um, uh, how do we how do we tune into like alien podcasts and give them one stars? I don't know, I don't know. But if they're gonna be out here giving us one stars for our energy centers, we got to deal with that. <laughs> intergalactic bots that's what yep. we need man that is yep. definitely what we need um uh your joke is so much better than mine i was gonna say well it was ice cream cone shaped so maybe they were trying to cool off the reactor <laughs> listen man sometimes you gotta cool those things down it's right by the water but you know what sometimes especially <sighs> uh, uh you know those days get to, they get hot down there like <laughs> it was the, july I, yeah, it was it was July. We're talking, you know, southern New York here. So uh, those guys don't know what it's like to be negative 20 with a wind chill that puts it to negative 40 like like we do <laughs> up here. You know, you, you have those days, but uh, sometimes that energy just needs a, a, a nice, cool treat. And, and I, I can understand that. Uh, I think what's interesting about the ice cream cone shape uh, of it is that there is a history of objects that look like ice cream. Cones. Yes, absolutely. Uh, 
uh, Thomas Mantell claimed to see something that looked vaguely ice cream shaped, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which you can say that's a balloon, but it, it didn't really it moved too fast to be a balloon. Uh, the, the guys in the Portage County UFO chase, Dale Spar, who like pursued that UFO 60 miles over into Pennsylvania, he claimed that the UFO was uh, ice cream cone shape and like that's one of the strangest shapes that keeps popping up from time to time it's like ice cream cone just hanging out <laughs> oh man well first of all i knew again this is why you're here rob i know you can just rattle off names and dates of cases that i'm just like ah, why do i even bother having a podcast why do i <laughs> do a- this it's a blessing and it's a curse. Right. <laughs> right. It, I know. It really is. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm thinking to you now, July 24th, that was like eight days before my birthday, my literal birthday. God, I could have had a UFO nukes case on my birthday if they had waited. Like, no, man. One more week. Damn you, ice cream cone alien. So well. Well, let's, let's move to our last case to bookend our New York cases. <laughs> Rita Malley's UFO Encounter. Tell us about Rita Malley, if you would. Oh, man, this is this is definitely one of the strangest New York cases that I think we have here. Um, This one comes from the pages of John Keel's Operation Trojan Horse, and it fits into the flap of sightings that was occurring between 65 and 67 in the States. And on the evening of Tuesday, December 12th, 1967, Miss Rita Molly was driving home. She lived in Ithaca at the time. And out of the back window of the car, her son that was riding with her spotted a red light that seemed to be tailing the vehicle. So Rita was speeding at the time. So she assumed she was about to be pulled over by the cops. But. When she looked out the window, she realized that she was being paced not by a police cruiser, but by a UFO. It was shaped like a disc about the size of a boxcar with a dome top and square red and green windows, she told John Keel. She also described hearing a humming sound, uh, the same kind made by like a television, an old tube set television. She came... uh, she came back to her five-year-old son, Dana, to, like, brace himself. Like, she was thinking, like, this thing is going to make an impact with us. Just brace yourself. Uh, uh, but when she did, she noticed that he was in some kind of trance. Uh, and it was at this point that the car was taken over by the UFO. It was pulled over to over the shoulder and into an alfalfa field where it came to a stop. Quote, A white twirling beam of light flashed down from the object. I heard the humming sound. Then I began to hear voices. They didn't sound like male or female voices, but were weird. The words were broken and jerky, like the way a translator sounds when he is repeating a speech at the United Nations. But Mm. it was like a weird chorus of several voices. I became hysterical. My son would not respond to my cries. I knew the radio wasn't on. The voices named someone I knew and said that at that moment, my friend was involved in a terrible accident miles away. They said my son would not remember any of this. Then the car began to move again. Although still not under my control, we came up out of that field and over the ditch as if it were nothing and then back onto the road. Rita then raced home. She was just incredibly panicked and, you know, rightfully so. I can completely understand Uh, when she flew through her front door um, the next day. She did, in fact, learn that her friend had been in a terrible car accident. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. this uh, This is definitely one of the weirdest. God, I don't even know what to make of this. Yeah, it's got a little bit of everything. It does. It, UFOs taking over cars. We've, we've had cases like that. Uh, uh, what the hell, man? What yeah. the, you really? You, your UFOs literally taking over a car. You have singled out this woman and you brought her into an alfalfa field. Are you <laughs> kidding me right now? Alfalfa? You couldn't bring it. You couldn't like tie it into like a cornfield or something. A maybe, maybe we could. 
lavender can, maybe yeah you know like me we got some sunflowers out there let's do something a little more classy than alfalfa, alfalfa. come on man. that's like the shit you dig off of your salad and yeah. don't eat right yeah pretty much <laughs> like it's it's not something that you want like it's named for one of the little rascals here you know <laughs> Good, good reference. I, I knew we could work Little Rascals into this somehow. It, little Rascals doesn't get worked in enough to UFO <laughs> lore and literature. We need more of it. Yep. If not, you're not doing your job. Wow, man. That one's crazy. Ugh. I'm, I, there's... I don't know. Are there any others you can really think of? These were the the two main ones I came across. There is, I should say, speaking of John Keel, um, some murmurs of Mount Misery, which I mm-hmm. believe is in Long Island, um, yep. of Men in Black and and stuff like that. But I didn't really come up with anything specific in terms of that. Do you know anything about Keel's work up in Long Island? Mount Misery is kind of – it's one of those notorious places that people claim to have all kinds of different strange interactions with, uh, you know, spirit phenomenon. You have UFO sightings. There's just like a lot of weird re- things reported at Mount Misery. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's um, – there aren't a lot of specifics that come about it, but uh, it's just kind of one of those places in New York that has this very eerie reputation for strange things that happen in and around it. Yeah, it's just one. Of, exactly. It's one of those places. Man, Rob, these were great, man. I knew if we really dug and I knew if I if I came to you that we would find something to make our home state truly proud of. You know, that's what we're doing here. We're, we're, we need to put New York out there. Listen, we're here. We're here right now. There isn't a lot of good things happening in New York right now. Uh, we'll be all right. I think, I think we'll be all right with this one. But, you know, we, we, we've got the Rona pretty bad up here. But you know what? If we can make it weirder, that's it's our job. We got to make it weirder. We got to tell the weird stories that everybody needs to know so that, there's a little, you know, there's a little faith uh, in in New York and, and, and stuff. And like uh, New York had its uh, brush with uh, its mystery air flap in 1909 down in the Pine Bush area, mm. which is uh, where a lot of uh, sightings during the Hudson Valley flap took place. And uh, I think what uh, with Hudson Valley, what that flap doesn't get uh, the reputation for that it truly deserves is – Witnesses having psychic encounters with UFOs in which uh, they would often see these UFOs have a thought and the UFO would react. Like uh, there was one story in which a woman saw this UFO. I think it was um, uh, she was on the highway. She pulled off and I believe it was over a body of water or, or something like that. And it was moving away from her and she thought. As she was looking up at it, she she just it was like very beautiful to look at. And most of what uh, the UFOs looked like in uh, New York during this flap, they were very boomerang shaped. They and uh, she put out there like, no, don't don't go away. So the the UFO responded and it started to come back and it actually came toward her. And then she chickened out. She took it down, said, no, no, you're getting too close. And then it's like, fine, you hurt my feelings. And the UFO went away. And um, <laughs> what a tease. Yeah. No, I, I know. Like, listen, you got sometimes you got to be brave. Sometimes <laughs> you got to put on that brave face. If you're yep. going to say, please don't go away. Don't hurt the UFO's feelings saying, no, you're getting too close. Yep. Don't, uh, don't what's what's the old saying? Don't mess with the bull. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get the horns, man. You get those horns. You don't want it. Get those don't. galactic horns. Yeah, you'll get those galactic horns, but like there, there are a couple of accounts of that happening in uh, the the Hudson Valley flap, and it, it's just it's so great to to read those. And uh, what brought that flap legitimacy to begin with is that the first person that reported anything was a police officer. So awesome! That's what know. we want, man. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. That that just brings more credibility. Uh, all the time, whether it's military, law enforcement, it just always gives it something extra there. Um, 
Wow, man. Oh, well, you know, in that whole parapsychological phenomenon in the terms of these, you know, whether it's thinking or trying to communicate with the phenomenon and it reacting, that's so fascinating to me. And we hear that a lot in the lore with all of this. But um, there's one lesson that you taught me, and I think we kind of have to bring back when it mm-hmm. comes to all that. And it's, um, I think you know where I'm going with this. What don't you do with UFOs, Rob? You don't flash SOS at a UFO because you know what's going to happen. It's going to come abduct you. It's going to come back. It's going to come down. It's going to abduct you. You want to know what? It, it happened to Terry Lovelace. And, and Terry seems like a really nice guy. It happened to him and his buddy. Happened to the Allagash guys. Oh, hey, let's take a, take our flashlight and flash it at a UFO. What are we going to do? Oh, let's let's you know flash an sos no they're gonna pick you up you want to know why because you said you needed help <laughs> trying to be genuine here these aliens <laughs> are trying to be genuine trying to help people out but no you gotta go and you gotta flash an sos so they picked you up and you know what they did some stuff with you we want to know why because you pissed them off <laughs> you didn't need to be picked up you were fine in that damn canoe with the four of you in it you weren't catching fish you were doing you, you you didn't complete your task but, hey, let's just flash this UFO. It, it, just don't do it, folks. Oh. Do not flash an SOS at a UFO. <laughs> that is the one lesson I want to teach everybody here. Don't do it. And this has been Learning with Rob on PBS. Thank you for joining us tonight, everyone. Next up is, uh, what, uh, Fresh Air <laughs> coming up next. <laughs> oh, wow, man. I Hey. We didn't just learn about New York UFOs. We learned what not to do with these UFOs. And I know there's going to be so much more to learn with the future of Our Strange Skies, man. So tell us, what's next for Our Strange Skies? And uh, this is not the only podcast that you've hosted. You, you've you got one on music. You've got one on, um, am I correct, D&D? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Tell us it's, a little about everything you're up to. It's it's weird, you know, you uh you say, No, I'm done with this UFO stuff and then you start two more podcasts it's like what the hell are you doing? You're you're completely <laughs> batshit. But uh yeah, um with with our strange skies we've got new episodes in the works. There's gonna be some coming out real soon and uh, some really great topics that we're going to be covering, you know, some abductions we're going to be looking at, you know, UFOs as they progressed before we got to 1947, a lot of really uh, interesting topics that uh, I, I think will be enjoyable. But uh, I do have a music podcast that I do with my buddy Brian Hasty. Uh, it's called the Coda Music Podcast. We start recording new episodes uh, actually really soon. So, um there's about 20 of them there right now, and if you want to go give those a listen, you can. And uh, I am involved in the uh, role-playing game community, so um, I do a podcast called The Order of Podcasters in which uh, some friends of mine get together and we uh, play this game uh, called The Esoterrorist, which is kind of like X-Files for people who have day jobs. So uh, I play a character named Myron Dripchin, and uh, he is a coast-to-coast like George Norrie character. And uh, it it was fun. It's fun to play him because he's over the top. I definitely stole some of uh, Norrie's best moments from coast-to-coast, like the infamous uh, uh, pizza roll incident. (laughs) What is that? You don't... Oh, oh man. There was an episode of Coast to Coast, and he opened up this episode by claiming that he had... He had... <laughs> he had given himself third-degree burns by eating pizza rolls. Oh, no. <laughs> had to go to the hospital and everything. Wow. <laughs> it was so bad, but, uh, you know... George Nori has beats that are just uh, completely amazing. Didn't yeah. he? Didn't he? Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he fall asleep on air once and yeah. like the guest was talking and all you could hear was Nori snoring? Yeah. Yep. Nori uh, snoring. Nori, Nori snoring. Yep. It's uh, it, <laughs> tune in to the uh, the new segment of my podcast, Nori snoring, and. Uh, <laughs> That but, uh, anytime there's a boring moment now on my future episodes, I'm going to play a soundbite of him snoring. Yeah, I, I, tell your I, I, guests to, uh, you know, 
let's make this a bit more interesting. Come on. Uh, yeah, you need yourself a soundboard, definitely. <laughs> um, we have uh, a bunch of episodes up now. I think cool. like over ten. We've had we've done three different adventures, but it, it's fun. Uh, we we. Um, shoot monsters with guns and uh we have fun doing it and we uh we kind of poke fun at the podcasting community a little bit which is uh always good as you should yep yes and uh the fourth podcast i'm involved in is a dungeons and dragons podcast called rolling through the realms and uh we uh, uh me and my friends we get together we play some D D. it's uh it's funny at times it's heartwarming you know you get a little bit of everything um so yeah they're if they're if you're looking, if you're so in love with my voice, which I really hope you're not, please don't be in love with my voice. But if you are, there's plenty of content out there for you now. I'm not in love with your voice, Rob. I'm in love with the idea of your voice. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. How's okay. That? I okay. gotcha. <laughs> okay. So now I'm going to get messages of people saying that, Ryan. Thank you. You're very welcome, man. Hey, if there's anything you're known for, it's catchphrases. Don't lick UFOs. Don't do it. And everything in between. Brother, this was awesome. Where can we find everything you're up to? If you want to stay in touch, uh, on Twitter is probably the best place to find me these days at your UFO guy spelled Y E R UFO guy. I usually post updates there. Um, pretty much uh, every single one of my podcast projects, with the exception of Our Strange Skies, has a, um, a social media presence. So you can find us out there. But uh, yeah, the best musings that uh, that I often have is they come on uh, Twitter and I'd like to read one for all of you right now. Uh, I had this <laughs> thought earlier earlier today um, and uh, it goes something like this. Imagine being a gray and realizing that you have no chance of having a dump truck. That is depressing as fuck. There you go. There you go. Those are the kind of thoughts you could get from me. Oh my gosh, it's like, uh, what is it, Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. You're killing it, man. You're just dropping bombs everywhere you step. I love it. I absolutely love it. Wait, dude, this has been, it's been so good to just lay back and laugh about things, you know, especially in the world today with everything going on. Um, this was exactly what I needed. I, I know it's what a lot of our listeners probably needed as well. So first of all, it is so good to have you back with our strange skies and of course i have to thank you for coming on today brother i appreciate you having me on anytime that we can laugh anytime that we can make other people laugh it's good in the ufo community because i've said this many times before y'all sometimes you take yourself a little too seriously you need to learn to laugh a little bit uh and uh I'm glad that I can bring forth the laughs. Do not let aliens leave one-star reviews for your podcasts or your businesses. Please, this is an epidemic. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.